Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness. And every week, I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Patty Inich, where I ask her, what can food tell us about the U.S.-Mexico border? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I cannot wait for our guest this week. She's major. We're going to talk about a really major subject, which is food. Welcome to the show without any more buildup. Patty Inich, who is a James Beard award-winning chef who has dedicated her career to building a shared understanding between her two home countries, Mexico and the United States. And you have a new PBS special called La Frontera, uh, in which you use food as the vehicle to explore the culture and people of the Texas-Mexico border. Her third cookbook out now is Treasures of the Mexican Table. Bienvenidos a Getting Curious. Uh, como estas, Patty? Oh my God, I can't, I can't. If you talk Spanish to me, I'm going to have to jump through the screen. Pero puedo hablar español, pero necesito hablar... Uh, Mm, un poquito lentamente porque me olvidé las palabras. No, no, no. Esto está precioso. Esto está precioso. We can just talk Spanish. Está precioso. Me encanta tu acento. Me encanta tu español. Me encanta todo tú. Así que a donde quieras y lo que quieras. A un otro tiempo necesito uh, 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 clase de español contigo. Hacemos uh, 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 un... Uh, tiempo later because you are a very sought after person and we only have like 58 minutes and I just took two minutes to say a basic like third grade sentence um, so here's the thing though excuse my French but what the fuck are we supposed to make for the holiday season okay like we are so sick of all the same things and we need change we need new things but first of all um, how are you I'm going to stop talking now Jesus that was such a long oh time how are God, you no. No, keep on talking. I can just sit here. You are no. so delightful. You're so entertaining. First of all, we need to do a full immersion in Mexico. You come with me. We go to Mexico to a place where nobody speaks English. I do not speak English to you. And we go full Espanol anytime, whenever you want. In three days, estás todo Espanol. Perfecto. Really? Three full days of nonstop talking with me in Espanol in an environment where people have Spanish. If you have the Spanish that I already heard you have, you're set, you're done. Como se dice en inglés, it's going to take me way more than three days. <laughs> you know, when I first moved to, to Texas, Jonathan, it was like 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, I moved to Dallas, Texas, and I thought I knew English. But the truth is that when I arrived to the U.S., I couldn't even string a sentence in English. And it was so frustrating. I kept asking, ¿Cómo se dice? ¿Cómo se dice? ¿Cómo se dice? And now, I mean, I have the very heavy accent, but I can totally string sentences. So well, I yeah, think you, you will be like, you know, my boys were born here in the U.S. And I feel like you will be a little bit like them in that they speak, they speak Spanish perfectly, but they have the very charming accent in English, which Mexicans love. They do. Oh, yeah. I feel like if you go to Mexico and you speak Spanish, like if you try to speak Spanish and they hear your accent, but you're speaking in Spanish, they're so appreciative. We're so grateful. And so people will just love you. I did just go to Mexico with my husband and I was speaking like a lot of Spanish. And every time I go to, well, it's like the second time I've been, but in the first time I went with my tia and 
everyone's like low-key kind of impressed because like once I of get course. there for like for like a day like then it really comes back and then I it's like okay but uh, Jonathan focus can you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and yes. um yeah and then what your expertise is of course of course of course but I am so distracted by you because you're so entertaining and so charming okay so I am a Mexican uh, born a person grew up in Mexico City. I was trained as a political analyst. I wanted to be an academic. Long story short, I married to my Mexico City husband. We moved to Texas. I became insanely nostalgic about Mexico, kept on meeting myths and preconceptions about Mexicans after doing a master's in Latin American studies and then doing a political analysis gig at a think tank. I resigned, switched careers, went to cooking. And instead of political analysis, I wanted to do food writing. And then long story short again, I started teaching Mexican cooking, started my show, Patty's Mexican Table on PBS, where every season I go to a different region of Mexico, explore it. I started with the Mexico I knew and loved, you know, Mexico City, Puebla, Oaxaca. As the seasons have gone by, I started going to wait. I want to go to the Mexico. I don't know. And it turns out I don't know much, so much, so much, so much. You know, you think you know, and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So increasingly, I've gone to places in Mexico that I hadn't even heard of or that were like a bigger challenge, like Sinaloa. Everybody's talking about El Chapo and Narcos. I'm like, no, 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 we're going to go and find out what's really going on down there and bring the microphone to the people. So after doing that back and forth, 10 seasons, doing a few cookbooks, I decided that after treading you know, these two worlds, Mexico and the U.S., Mexico and the U.S., and having to explain myself all the time, you know, um, having this very heavy accent in the U.S., in Mexico, explaining kind of my heritage and where I come from, I was very attracted to the border. And I decided that that was one place where there were even more myths and preconceptions and very narrow labels. And I kept meeting people from the border and hearing all these stories that had nothing to do with what we see on the, and hear in the news. And I started visiting La Frontera and realized that La Frontera is this place, this kind of science fiction um, new world where these two countries meet and are rubbing against each other all the time. And by doing that, they create this kind of third dimension or universe where possibilities that cannot exist anywhere else exist there. You were talking in the beginning of our conversation about how in the holidays we want something new and we want to change. But at the same time, we want the classics. We want the comfort. We want nurturing. Oh my gosh, my dog wants to come in. Do you want to oh, see it's her? Okay. She's that so happens. cute. We love that I'm getting curious. I love, we She's love her. She's so cute. Um, here she is. She's going to jump in in a second. Her name is Mila. Anyway, so I I realized that it's the place where people hold on to traditions and to their identity really strongly. But at the same time, it's a place where people can break new ground because... In La Frontera, you can be anything. You can be everything at the same time. There is this continuous like trade-off and mixing and blending, but also solidifying. And it's this magical place that people don't understand until they get there. So I find that food and the kitchen is like the most noble place to break down walls and lift veils and share who we are without judgments. Because... 
somebody doesn't like you, but you present them with a giant plate of irresistible tacos, they're not going to say no. And they're going to listen to you if they're hungry. We're just animal. We need to eat, you know? And then the stories that go behind it. So I realized that it was by way of food that I could understand more La Frontera. And it was mind boggling, Jonathan. I just, I did all the way from El Paso to SpaceX, to Brownsville. Mm. And it was the entire Texas Mexico border. And I thought that, you know, Tex-Mex food and Tex-Mex culture was going to have much heavier common denominators. I mean, yes, there are some common denominators, but the variations, the diversity, the richness is insane. Give me a gorgeous example of like some of the like gorgeous, like unexpected (laughs) food that you encountered. Ah, well, in El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, for example, I went on both sides of the border to eat burritos. So in El Paso, we went to La Colonial. And and you realize that just burritos, you know, burritos are like, um, I need to hear you roll your R's because you're going to do it so beautifully. Oh my God! (sighs) Okay, so burritos. Burritos is one of the most iconic foods of the border. I'm literally slobbering. I'm slobbering just thinking about it. Okay, and they were created in El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, but the reality of the border is just like the burritos. When you go to El Paso and Ciudad Juarez, the burritos have, they're made with extraordinary flour tortillas and one or two kinds of filling that are such good fillings that they can stand on their own. They're thin burritos, fresh, hot, and they're meant to be taken on the go. And they're accessible, adaptable. You can eat them for breakfast, lunch, dinner, anything, anytime. The farther you get from the border, the more people need to stuff them, right? Rice and beans and cream and cheese and salsa. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Those gigantic Atomic burritos are also delicious, but they're not that of the border. You realize that the reality of the border is simple and complex at the same time. But to give you an example, the burrito in El Paso, in La Colonial, had a mashup of like American style brisket, all like luscious coming apart with that kind of like gravy, like seasoned gravy. And queso, but like the American queso, you know, Velveeta, Philadelphia cheese, roll, eat, yum, okay? Oh my God, yeah, smack me in the face. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> oh my but God. But then you cross the border to Ciudad Juarez and the burritos there are the, in Saritas, which is a food truck, is also extraordinary flour tortillas. But here they're handmade, cooked on a griddle and made to bubble and heat with a wooden kind of a weight. So they get these like rustic woody taste and the filling. I mean, do you eat everything? I eat everything. Yeah, I eat everything. Okay. The filling. One which was ridiculously to die for was papas con rajas. You know, potatoes with Anaheim rajas and cream and cheese. But the kind cheese that you can't get in the U.S. because it doesn't pass the tests of pasteurization, sanitization, salvation, hydration, nation, nation, nation. Yeah. That cheese from the ranch and fresh cream. Ridiculous. Another one with 
tongue in salsa verde. Ah. I mean, just simple. Like the flavor is so nuanced. The ingredients. So I don't know how to explain. So alive when you bite into them. And both burritos extraordinary, you know, north of the border, very American in the Mexican home of the tortilla. And the Mexican ones, very deeply Mexican, but kind of with an American spin in the burrito style. I don't know how to explain like the Mexican in the US and the American in the Mexico. It's like this whole mixing and combining, but at the same time, things hold their own. So, And we're just talking burritos there. Okay, but I have a question really quick. Okay, because you're telling me about burritos and you said that they were invented there. Is that like a widely and like accepted fact that it's like El Paso slash like Ciudad Juarez or is people from like, like Cabo or like some other place in like Mexico or Texas like, ah, we did it. <laughs> or is it like a widely accepted fact that it's definitely in like El Paso and Ciudad Juarez? What yes. other, what's that second city you said? Ciudad Juarez. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You would love Ciudad Juarez so much. Have you been? No. Okay. That's where it is said that the margarita was invented, that Juan Gabriel. Do you know who Juan is? Juan Gabriel is like Mexico's Elvis Presley. Yeah, I was just, I knew hot. I mean. Yeah. I, I, we grew, Juan Gabriel created the soundtrack of the lives of Mexico in the uh. 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, it's just, and he's from Juarez. Oh, he's from Juarez. Love. He's from Juarez. So anyway, what I was going to say is it is a known fact that burritos come from that region. There are many legends as to what was the origin. Was it kids that were helping people shop from one side to the other side and they were carrying these burritos? Was it in the revolution that somebody was selling food to go? But it is known that it was in that place, in that location. And also, you know, El Paso used to be Mexico before. You know, oh. there's a big part of the borderlands that used to be Mexico and People didn't move. The border moved. So that's why you have such an intense presence of Mexico in a way that has evolved. But also before the U.S. was U.S. and before Mexico was Mexico, all of that was part of the colony of New Spain. So there's so much history. And people, when people think about the border, they just think about, oh, politics, oh, border, oh, wall, oh, just Tex-Mex and that's that. And what I realized, and this also happened in El Paso, is that there's so many immigrant waves. The border is a magnet, not only for Americans and Mexicans. And there are a lot of Americans that live south of the border because they prefer to and they have the benefits of south of the border. And then, of course, the Mexicans that live north of the border and then the people who just swim, you know, every day between both. And, you know, there are communities that I bicultural, binational, that I thriving, and they go to the north of the border and buy the brisket and go to the south of the border and get the flour tortillas. But aside from Mexican and Americans, there's Syrian and Lebanese, there's Haitian, there's Cuban, there's Asian. So can I tell you another beautiful story that we just ran into as we were filming? Yes. Okay, so we're eating our way, right, through 
all of the border. And as we get out of El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, we go to Isleta where we have crazy gutamales. Then we go to the Big Ben National Park. I didn't even know so much beauty, you know, in terms of national treasures were there. Then we drive to the Laredo regions, which also, I mean, we'll talk about that food. It's incredible. And then in the Rio Grande Valley, which is its own thing, and not many people know about it, the richness of the Rio Grande Valley. We try the raspas, you know, those crazy um, raspa things that are like shaved ice with like a gazillion thousand things. No, with, I didn't no. know about it. No. No. Okay. 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 I didn't know. I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna have to look it up. Keep okay. telling me. I can't interrupt you on okay. this. You gotta keep telling me. Okay, raspas are the so you know shaved eyes, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Imagine shaved eyes gone crazy wild. Like it can go sweet, it can go spicy, it can go savory. For example, there's the I think the most famous raspa there is shaved eyes, and they do like um berry or grapefruit or grape syrup and then they do chopped pickles and Kool-Aid and just like crazy flavorings. I hate pickles. I'm devastated. You had me till the pickles, yeah. but that's just so no 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 but that honestly that that wasn't up my alley. Like I tasted it because people there loved it and I was like okay I'm not convinced. But they had <laughs> other raspas. They had like an arroz con leche, like a rice pudding raspa with coconut and nuts and berries and, you know, ev- everything that sold, you can imagine. Sold. Like chocolate with like tres leches and oh, brownies. God. I mean, just wild, wild, wild. But wait, we haven't gotten to the story that I told you. Yeah, yeah. It's so fascinating. So then we go to the Rio Grande Valley and we were, you know, Tex-Mex has such a reputation, you know? Many people say, oh, it's not real Mexican food. It's a bastardization of Mexican food. It's fake Mexican food. Well, it turns out, as I've learned, that Tex-Mex food is really its own regional cuisine. That's a beautiful, evolving thing. And that there are many kinds of Tex-Mex food. There's very, It's very different in San Antonio than... El Paso, then Laredo, then Rio Grande. So in Rio Grande, I'm meeting with this chef called Larry Delgado. And he has restaurants in McAllen. He has all kinds of restaurants that are international, Italian and American. But he loves to cook Tex-Mex at home. And he's like, I'm going to show you, you know, why Tex-Mex needs some respect. Come, we're going to cook at some friend's ranch. And I'll make you my favorite Tex-Mex food. Not knowing what to expect. We show up to the ranch. Well, it turns out that this beautiful ranch in the middle of the Rio Grande Valley is ruled by this Japanese-American woman, so beautiful, Jonathan, with her daughter. So she's Japanese-American, married a man of Hispanic heritage, but like many, many generations ago. So you have Japanese-American, Mexican. The daughter is Japanese and she's now pregnant. She was living in the city in McAllen, but she decided she wants her baby to come live in this ranch. And they are raising Akaushi cattle, which makes Wagyu beef. The most incredible Wagyu beef. But listen to this story. We start talking and um, Stephanie, the mom, tells me that her grandparents, you know, I, I also come from you know, um, grandparents who fled, who were refugees into Mexico. So I, I, 
you know, I have so much empathy for people who have moved, who have had to make their homes in different places. Now I'm growing roots in America, right? While part of my roots are in Mexico. So I really have a lot of empathy for those stories. And she's telling me her grandparents were Japanese migrant farmers in California. Pearl Harbor happened. They were put in camps. A few years later, they get out. They have nowhere to go. They have nothing. They move to Texas and become migrant farmers again. And then, slowly but surely, they start getting this Akaushi beef from Japan. And they start raising, she starts raising this Akaushi beef, which is Japanese, makes Wagyu beef. You try this meat, Jonathan. It's insane. It melts in your mouth. And they sell this Wagyu beef to Larry Delgado and other restaurants that are making Tex-Mex fajitas with it. Ah. So it is like so many people from so, so many different cultures and immigrant ways enriching the cuisine of the border. And I was asking her, like, how proud do you feel your grandparents would feel if they saw that you are now you know, bringing Wagyu beef to enrich the American table from your heritage. And they are so proud, reinventing the business of ranching. And So anyway, that's just one story of so many that we found. I love that people, if you have not seen this, you've like got to see this. Did you notice any like recurring like ingredients or cooking techniques that kind of like unified Tex-Mex cuisine? Yes, queso, 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 queso. I mean, <sighs> cheese. Like, What about the white runny cheese? You know, like that white runny cheese? It's like yes. I could bathe in that and just drink it for the rest of my life. Like that's oh, all I could ever eat gosh. for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. And this is where you say, okay, people who criticize Tex-Mex food for not being mix. It's like, it's not supposed to be mixed, right? Like here, I'm Mexican. I love Mexican food, but I've really grown to respect and love Tex-Mex food. Tell me what can be wrong with like a mixture of heavy cream, a cream cheese and American cheese all melted into roasted poblano peppers and chorizo and guacamole and freshly made tortilla chips is like, give me, give me, give me. I'm so hungry. I'm like literally so hungry. Okay, so cheese was a, queso was a really unifying thing. Tacos as well. Tacos, what else? Um, So I would say queso, 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 tacos, 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 but all sorts of tacos. Of course, burritos. And I would say like the way that people eat is very casual, family friendly, like in in that in that Tex-Mex or border combination between American and Mexican. They take a lot of the Mexican hospitality in that you just show up, you know, I remember when I moved to the U.S. and People would invite us to their homes and they would say, "Okay, we'll see you at six. And, and, you know, it's from six to seven thirty five. We would show up at seven because in Mexico, it's not polite to show up on time. If you show. So this you have to know if you know Mexicans or have Mexican friends or go to Mexico, if you show up on time, you're not giving people time to get ready. It is a sign of you rushing your hosts. I know this is like counterintuitive. I love right? that. 
Oh, yeah. And the other thing is that people don't leave. I don't like that. I that I'm like <laughs> once I'm like after like eight o'clock, I usually and I've done this to so many of my friends. Like I just fall asleep on the couch. Like I just yeah. am asleep. Yeah. And then they're like yeah. waking me up and I'm like, bye, girl. I'm so uh, it's like fall yeah, asleep. But then, and then they go and then they go. But it's like that ending time is like, you don't know, you know, maybe you want to leave before. Maybe you want to leave earlier. You know, why do you have to tell me until what time I want to stay? Maybe you wanted me to leave before. Like things end when they end. Ah, I love it. It's more open. Yes. It's, it's like more, more like feeling it. It's more like you feel it. Okay, that actually makes so much sense. Of 10 seasons, how long was that? It's been 10 years. I've done a season a year. And each season I go to a different region of Mexico and then come back. And, you know, it's, it's Paris Mexican table is part travel, part cooking, part English, part Spanish. So it's been really hard to fit it in. Like when the shows get submitted for awards, like James Beard or Amy, you know, there's these categories. Is it travel or is it cooking? And I'm like, ah, it's a little bit of everything. Is it instruction or is it entertainment? I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> is it English or is it Spanish? And that's why I felt so at home at La Frontera and at the border, because the boxes of who you are and what you are and what you can be and what defines you, like, go topsy-turvy. So... I know that I like lured people in with a cooking episode, but then you brought up how you like originally were like really interested in like politics and stuff. And then you mentioned that your grandparents were like refugees and stuff. So, and then you, and then I was kind of asking for how long, cause it's like 10 years. So that's like, you know, 2011, which then I'm thinking like, okay, that's like the Obama administration. And then like, I was thinking about like, just everything that's happened in like Mexican politics and American politics since you started. And then obviously you can't think about that without talking about he who must not be named or like 45 or whatever, uh, you know, you want to call him, you know, cause you said like, you know, you can't be mad at people if you're going to give them a big old plate full of tacos and you know, you're going to be friends. And it's a great way to break down barriers. My first thought was like, I'm not going to a Trump supporter's house on the border. Cause the tacos might be laced with some fucking shit to try to fucking, you know, their voter suppressionists in all sorts of ways. <laughs> So it just is saying like we're in a very polarized time. Yeah. And I think that that was like literally my first reaction to the uh, the thought of eating someone's tacos that disagrees with me on like yeah. a lot of these issues. I was like, I'm scared. So <laughs> are we just all fucked up? Is there some people who you've seen in your experience like mend broken relationships through food? Oh my God. I love, I love all your questions and I love what you just said. And I think if I've learned anything is that I've, I've become so humbled with realizing that we cannot generalize. That's the one thing. Mexico has its own kind of crazy racism. And there are Mexicans and Latinos that are fully on for Trump, you know, and the other way around. And I've realized that humans, we're just so vulnerable. We're flawed. We're afraid. So afraid. We're nothing protects nothing from anything. And we just have to each one try to do our very best in our in the space that we can. And I've, I've tried 
try to learn to not judge, which is hard when you have a president, as you're saying, who's attacking Mexicans, attacking immigrants, attacking working moms, attacking, you know, so many of the things that I am at my core. And then, you know, I remember um, during those those years, very recent years, that I would look at my Twitter feed or my Instagram feed and I would see so many followers telling me your show is my favorite show. I love your tacos. And I would look at their, you know, at their Twitter handles and they would say vote for Trump and build the wall and no more Mexicans. And okay, I'm like, I'm instead of saying or getting angry, I'm like, hey, you're watching the show of a Mexican who's showing all the beauties of Mexico. You want to make tacos in your home. I'm like, take that. You know, it's it's that kind of soft power of that's why I say that food in the kitchen is such a noble space to share because it may be it may seem more gentle, it may seem more subtle, but it has a way of unlocking doors and and bringing some communication and understanding. And I know I'm overly hopeful, you know, whenever whenever we talk about with my friends about glasses half empty and half full, I tend to see them overflowing, you know, which uh. is the one way I, I, I feel that that's the only way I can go ahead and work on my next project. And I always say if I had to go back, people ask me if you had to do it all over again, you know, to make... Patty's Mexican table happened to have a cooking show with a Mexican in in no. a network that is has a spoken English with my accent. If I had to look back at how difficult it was to have La Frontera happen, like would I do it again? If I think about all the obstacles, I don't think I would think it possible, you know? So yeah, it is it is very disheartening when you find people that you think because they are Mexican or Mexican-American or immigrants or that you think are going to think or feel like you. And then you you realize one just cannot generalize. One thing that you said that made me feel very convicted that I feel like I've really been struggling with lately. And then I swear to God, we have to talk about like holiday foods, but you're just such like a cool person. That's just naturally what's happening. Um, is like generalizing. And I think that a lot of times, like we have all become so polarized and, I, and obviously we all have to have boundaries about like who and what, you know, you will allow in your space. But I feel like I have lost so much patience with so many people. And I think that when we lose patience, um, it's really hard to like stay compassionate and not judge and not yes. generalize. So yes. that just like made me feel a lot in my heart. And with that being said, I am going to stop going in the political way and talk more about food. So yes, you and because you are, I mean, you are a literal chef. You are a literal cookbook author. You are an expert in food. <laughs> and one thing that's so interesting about you is that you are both Jewish and Mexican, which is yes. so fucking fierce, but not to cuss. It's just like so fierce. Love yes. that story so much. And so how has being a, uh, that gorgeous intersectional person informed your cooking, particularly around the holidays? It has informed who I am so deeply, so strongly, and it's been a journey. Um, being Jewish in Mexico, which is a country that when I was growing up in Mexico, 
you know, I was born in the 70s and Mexico then was 98% Catholic. Mm. Now I think Mexico um, sees itself as like 75% Catholic. And most of the foods, traditions, holidays revolve around that calendar, that clock, those celebrations. But Catholicism in Mexico is also intertwined with Mexico before the Spanish and the church arrived, right? All the pre-Hispanic Mexican native tribes, religions, it's been a combination, a mestizaje, and it's so fascinating. And people don't know that Mexico is not only made of old world, you know, um, the Spanish that came and settled for 300 years in New World, the Mexico that had all the different native Mexican tribes, but all the immigrant waves. So they teach us it's a combination of Spanish and Mexican, but they don't tell us about the Africans. You know, 300,000 African slaves were brought with the Spanish. Nobody talks about it in Mexico. Talk about racism. You know, now there's the studies and now there's the acknowledgement, but oh no, you know, Asian, Asian ways from the Philippines, Chinese, Japanese, um, Syrian, Lebanese, Jews. So French, Italian. Because meanwhile, Mexico was actually like accepting people seeking asylum like throughout all that time while we were like, leave so that's part of like where that like dynamic multicultural uh communities even taking place in mexico because as a country like mexico has actually been like taking people on so mexico has been taking all these immigrant waves in but there's been a lot of racism too you know um that being said um the mexican jewish community has grown deep roots has been in mexico since the 1500s and there's something people don't know that there is mexican jewish cuisine and it's not only like throwing a jalapeno into something the <laughs> foods are for example um there's gefilte fish a la veracruzana which have you tried gefilte fish yes Okay, so you know gefilte fish is the cold fish patties in aspic with yeah. that, you know. Yes. Okay, in Mexico, we cook the gefilte fish in a spiked seasoned tomato broth with capers, with olives, with pepperoncini peppers, with slivered almonds. I mean, you don't need an acquired taste for that. Ah, uh, there's amazing. even even the Jewish, the Sephardic Jewish foods, you know, there's also the Arab Jewish communities in Mexico. So think about the kibe. Well, the kibe is seasoned with ancho chiles and then we eat it with tahina, with hine and chipotle sauce or guacamole. I mean, it's just like, you know, so the foods I mean, the way that the identities have made a sense of themselves is Mexico is by integrating, you know, and marrying those ingredients. And the fascinating thing now with the evolution of Mexican food is I've devoted my professional life at sharing the richness of Mexico's regions and states. But increasingly, as I've been here almost, you know, 20 years and growing roots here, the evolution of Mexican food knows no borders. So you get the Mexicans from Jalisco. Say, birria is now hot in the U.S., right? Mm, yes, 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 how, yes, yes. How hot is birria? Okay, I don't know why, but birria comes from Jalisco and it's traditionally made of goat and lamb cooked in this spiked chili broth, falls apart, you eat it in tacos, you know, you can make quesadillas too. For some reason in the U.S., it started being the hottest trend ever. But 
Birria comes from Jalisco. What happens when Mexicans from Jalisco move to, say, New York City and they start making their birria with some ingredients they find in New York? Like, is that wrong? No, it's delicious. So it's like, you know, why does Mexican food need to stay in, you know, south of the border? So it's all these has deeply informed um, the way I see cooking and food. And it's like cooking and food. It's this living, breathing thing. And I'm just so grateful because we don't own it. When I see Cocina de Autor or like author, you know, chefs that try to leave their mark and create new dishes solely, which I think is brilliant, you know? But for me, cooking is more of a communal thing where before we arrive in this earth, Jonathan, all these recipes, all these dishes, all this food is here for us. It's an inherited richness, treasures. We come here, we eat them, they're part of who we are. And as you know, you grow older, there's new dishes, you know, that come to the fore. You play with ingredients. So you have these classics that need to continue to be passed down. And they they are who we are, you know, depending where you're from or say, you know, what is the food where you grew up? Give me an example. What defines the food of where you grew up? Okay, not trying to be ironic, but there's this place called El Rancherito and all I lived off of was like white cheese dip for like my entire like, well, it's like white cheese dip and then like Pop-Tarts. Ah, yum. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and like powdered okay. donuts. And there's like, and, and, and well, it's just, you know. I love powdered donuts. It's very just like Midwestern food, you know, like we have like yeah. Tex-Mex places and then you have like Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and McDonald's. <laughs> okay. Well, you have all those things that are part of who you are and your community and you can connect with the people in your community. Yes, that Tower eat those Pizza. Yes, yes. Oh, and Chirito. Yeah. Right? And then there's these new things that appear and that become part of, you know, the the food, the food scenery. And it's like you have to treasure what exists and be open to what's new. And but most of all, I see food as we don't own it. We share it. It's our common ground. It's our common denominator mm. is how we can see eye to eye, you know, um, That's so beautiful. There's so much meaning in food. Yeah. So in terms of the Mexican Jewish that you were, you know, asking me about, it is, it has really helped me understand how we can be many things at the same time and not be less because we are not fully just one. Ah, okay. Slay. Okay, so actually I feel bad for like categorizing all of my like growing up food to like um, white cheese dip. No, I want it. And, I want it. I want it. But like my mom, she does like fierce like casseroles for holidays. It's like very, you know, like egg and like, like green chilies and like sausage or like these like fierce like coffee cake things that she does. But what are like, that's like what we like on our Christmas morning. That's like what we're like really all about. See, I grew up celebrating Hanukkah and Navidad and New Year's uh, and Posadas and everything. It was like everything. just everything, everything. And, and the amazing thing is that all those foods, I'll tell you what they're like. So, buñuelos. Is it gigantic, thin, 
fritters made uh, freshly. Uh, Imagine like fresh flour tortillas, but like mm. just rolled out, deep fried in lard. Oh. And then you take that out. I mean, you can deep fry it in something no, else. No, I'm I'll lard, up some lard. lard is I'm, so delicious. No, okay. I'm into it. You get these huge fritters that are like gigantic sweet tostadas and then drizzle them with piloncillo or dark brown cinnamon syrup. Ooh. and powdered sugar. That's Christmas mm. to me. And Hanukkah, okay, sufganiot, you know, the puffy kind of filled donuts. In Mexico, we make them, you know, so sufganiot are like the filled donuts. I I don't know what the official name is for them in English, but it's- Do they like cream puff- in them? Yes, okay. Yes. What's the, so I know in, in like in Hebrew, it's sufganiot, Um and yeah, they're like cream donuts, like the jelly-filled donuts. Yes, I love jelly-filled donuts. Okay. In Mexico, we fill them with cajeta, which is like Mexico's dulce de leche. Oh, is that like, I know dulce de leche. It's just like sweet cream. Yes, it's like candied, candied milk, but different from Argentinian dulce de leche, which I'm not <sighs> going to criticize. It's still okay. But Mexico... We take it deeper because we almost burn it. You know, it's like that almost burnt caramel flavor. Uh, you know, Mexicans like things to the extreme. It's like intense. Yes. Oh my God. I have a recipe for burnt milk ice cream. It is so you make caramel and right when it's about to burn, you add the sweetened milk. It is ridiculous. And then you like put that into an ice cream machine or something? Yes. Um, Okay, but wait, in first grade, we did this thing where we took like a big, like empty thing of coffee, like like a big empty thing of folders, and then you put like rock ice in it and like ice, and then you put like a little thing of coffee on the inside of that with like all the ingredients to make your ice cream, and then yeah. you like, you know, you put the lid on the little one, and then you put the lid on the big one, and then you like duct tape, and then you roll it back and forth, you're <laughs> to make homemade ice cream. It's so much fun. I don't know why I had to tell you that, but I did. Oh, and there's so many things that they can make in terms of sweet. For example, in my new cookbook, I have the these cookies that are these I'm going to show you they're these dressed up I call them dressed up um, cookies because they're sugar cookies you're going to love these they're sugar cookies ooh they're like snowflakes with something Dulce de leche, in them. cajeta oh, Yes, I mean, these are really, and you make the sugar cookies, like the little flowers, you uh, snip them with like kid scissors, and then you just, oh. they're so easy to make. I worked out really hard this morning and I haven't eaten yet, I'm going to freak out. Okay, so that's that. <laughs> what about, but what about savories? Savory, okay. Tamales, and there's very easy tamales to make. I mean, you can now find masa harina, which you just mix with water and vegetable shortening or lard or butter. You make your masa, you make tamales. You can make a tamal casserole for Christmas or New Year's. You can make bacalao. You can make Christmas salad, which is a mixture of like fresh oranges and peanuts and beets and like a sweet vinaigrette. Um, I mean... There's so many traditional things. There's the tortas. You know, we eat turkey in Mexico for Christmas and New Year. So just like you guys do here for Thanksgiving, we make adobo roasted turkey. The adobo is like these. The adobo I make is it has freshly pureed fresh pineapple 
and then mix that with dark brown sugar until it becomes caramelly. And then I add adobo to it, like pureed tomato, rehydrated chili spices. It sounds complicated, but it's very easy to do. That and sounds like such a delicious, like, marinated. So but then what happens? So then it becomes like this Mexican version of a barbecue. You marinate your chicken or your turkey in it, and you get these smoky, spicy, sweet, tangy, sticky, irresistible sauce that coats the chicken or the turkey, becomes crispy, and then it's really moist inside because you can wrap that with banana leaves and put it in the oven or just cover it in aluminum foil. So uh, we're going to do this because like my husband and I like, because like, yes! we, it's just, it's just oh us two God, are going to play. Please, 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 please. So, um, so you just make that marinade and then you just like pour it all over the turkey and then you just like you, wrap it in a banana leaf? Yeah, so you, first you make that marinade, which I'm going to text skillet, you my number right? or have your team text you my number and you can just text me as you make it, okay? And that's in no, the no. skillet? No. So you make this, so you make a, that's marinade, okay? Uh-huh. And then you grab a plastic bag or a brining bag. You put your chicken or your turkey in there. You pour that adobo and you let it marinate for 24, 48 hours. Can you do that if you're doing like a whole ass turkey? You just get like a oh, bigger yeah. bag, right? Like you don't have to like chop the turkey up or something. No, the whole thing. I make enough of the adobo and it's just sitting in it and it's just soaking that flavor from the candied pineapple and the rehydrated ancho chiles, which which tastes like a bittersweet chocolate, like prune, like chocolate, like sweet. It's like, and then it has all of these spices. It has aniseed, so it's nice and fragrant. And so the turkey, like your your bird is marinating there. And then I make a stuffing. I was just going to ask if there was a Tex-Mex or Mexican equivalent of a stuffing. Yes, yes, yeah, of course. And our stuffings are insane because we do, as far as I know, all Mexicans prefer the stuffing inside of the bird because I know there's a thing against it and you can do it outside. It's fine. But then you don't get all of the flavors from the bird, the juices, and the adobo. But you can do the stuffing outside. It's fine. Because then you can do the sauce. You can pour some of the adobo after mm. the turkey has cooked on it. But listen, if you ask me, please stuff the turkey. Please stuff your chicken. Then I make the stuffing with chorizo, mm. cashews, okay, green apples. Ah. And then that goes mixed with vegetables that I saute. Celery, garlic, a little carrot, a little bit of tomato, and all those softened me- vegetables go mixed with brioche or challah or some soft bread. To that, you add your fried chunks of chorizo, your chopped cashews, your tart apple, your spices. You mix all that up. And so your stuffing is like nutty, spicy crunchy, seasoned. Like, you don't know what hit you when you eat it. What if you just, like, want your face to be burning, kind of? Like, what if you just need, like, oh, yeah. a little kick in your face with some heat? Like, what would you oh, put in there? yeah, okay. I have another stuffing, and there's many other stuffings, but there's a, another stuffing I have that's made with cornbread, and then Ooh. you do poblano chiles, jalapeno chiles. If you want it super spicy, you can do habaneros. But I... 
I love the combination of sweet and spicy because yes. I find that the spicy is heightened and highlighted much more when it's mixed with something sweet. I just always want like a like, yes. I'm, I mean, I don't even know enough about food to like, but yes. I'm like, yes. I'm just, I'm definitely seconding that like a hundred percent. Like I, one time I had these like habanero peach wings that were really good. Oh, like, it was like the peach oh. that like, you know, made it amazing. I just feel yeah. like sometimes I just feel like stuffing. If I was going to complain about like American stuffing, I just feel yes. like it, sometimes it's, it's like a bit sweet. And I just want like, well, it's just like a bit like not spicy. And I like, I just want like a little bit of spice in my life. Like throw a yes. jalapeno in it or something. But when <laughs> you just said something, so yeah, you know, the other thing is I feel like we need to talk about myths and preconceptions. Like, why do people have to use just one chili pepper in a recipe? You can mix your chilies. You can mix your fresh jalapeno with your dried chili de arbol. You can mix oh. your roasted poblano with your chili flakes. You know, like chiles love the company of chiles. So I see you. You love heat just like me. You can make, I have a cornbread that's like a skillet cornbread that I make with bacon and cheddar and roasted poblanos and jalapeños. And that I think that's right up your alley. That sounds so good. I cannot stand how good it sounds just with this question. It sounds so good. I can't. Okay. So I know that you. Okay, but I know that you don't have that much time. Okay, so just like <laughs> rapid, rapid, rapid fire for the like last five questions because I know you don't have that much I more time. I love rapid fire. Hit me. Okay, okay, but these are like all kind of big questions, so you're really oh. going to have to rapid fire it. I think that there is this feeling of, um, you know, if we were taking all for the news and, you know, that was all that was informing your understanding of the border, you have a much more like human experience with this region because you've actually traveled it you've been it you've been in people's homes you've been researching it you're like dedicating your life to not only like bringing more awareness to uh, cuisine in mexico which you've also dedicated this entire new project with you know la frontera with this beautiful um you know area and so what are some of the misconceptions that is would you say it's fair to say that like the coverage is like so many marginalized communities it's like only showing like the dark stuff and none of like the positive amazing like human stories that are coming out of this area a hundred percent i think it is so narrowly focused that when the news goes there they just go and get the tiniest pieces that are treating as my friend the journalist alfredo corchado said they're treating the borderlands as a piñata for political points but at the border Nobody's bringing the microphone to the people and to the communities to show how they do the music, the art, the culture, the food. And it's so insanely rich because imagine what they're getting. And I end the trailer of my series, which I can share with you, La Frontera. I end with this. They say the grass is greener on the other side. But what happens when you're right on the fence? And as I say this, I feel chills go all over my body because this is what being in the borderlands is. You're in a place where you're in two places at one time, which makes it that you're in a third dimension and nobody's highlighting what happens to the mute. It's so intense. Jonathan, it's so intense. The, the, you know, people try to label it as good and bad, happy, sad. It's like so many things at the same time. 
it creates new things. And yes, it's mislabeled and misjudged and very narrowly focused. And what I found was that you can find food that you can't find anywhere else. You find music that you can't find anywhere. The art is, there's such freedom at the same time as the clash, you know? And and that continuous tension just makes for incredible experiences and art. And it makes for really generous and kind and loving people. And they've been through so much and against the odds, they continue to thrive and share and help each other, which is the crazy thing. You hear all about the border and this side and that side. And there, like both sides, at each point of the border, there's families on both sides. There are friends in both sides. There are businesses that are thriving on both sides. And um, it's just... It's just you really have to see it. You have to be there to see how um, it's like nothing we can imagine. So people can't explain it and describe it because they come with their baggage of agenda of what they want to say. And they take that to fit their narrative. What's your hope for La Frontera and for the borderlands? So my hope is that we can all learn from them because the the borderlands, the communities there against the odds are resilient. They work with each other. They help each other. The people there are bicultural, bilingual, but they, they, they can swim. They're adaptable. They're accessible. I wish we all could be that way, be many things at the same time and be accepting of the others. And I think that in order to help, you know, the myths and the preconceptions. And my hope is that people will learn to see what they don't know with curiosity instead of with an already idea of what they're going to find. Because if that's what you're going to find, if that's what you want to find, that's what you're going to find because it also lives there. Yes, there's crime. Yes, there's darkness. But yes, there is that here too. Everywhere. So if that's what you want to find at the border, go. You're going to find it. But go there and be open to see what are you going to find without looking for that. Yeah. And you are going to be so beautifully surprised. Just let life flow in and show you what that life is. Just be humble and have all, you know, curiosity. And to even double down on that sentiment more, it's like... N- Yes, have approached what you don't know with curiosity. And also, I think what I'm seeing is that so many of us, and I've done this too, we approach what we don't know with like vitriol. It's like this anger and vitriol. And I think that is what I've noticed the volume get turned up on. And I so hope that we can kind of turn that down. This is also a second question I wasn't going to ask, but did you get to go to Nogales? Yes, I've been to Nogales many times. Not on these trips, not for these La Frontera, but I am going to Nogales and maybe you want to join me for the next round of La Frontera because the next season is going to be, this time I did El Paso to Brownsville. Next time I'm going to do from El Paso to Tijuana and now I'm going through Nogales and I've been there and it is incredible. I have so many friends from Nogales that I met in Tucson and actually like this girl that I love um, who house sits for me and she babysits our cats and stuff. I love her so much. She's amazing. She 
just moved to Austin from Tucson. Um, but she's a good friend of mine. Her whole family lives there. So if you need Aww. anyone to like interview, let me know because her family is amazing. And yes, um, please. As I, I will hook you guys up. And so then my final question is how can people explore cuisine across the U.S. Mexico border from home? Watching your show, be- first of all. Like, how can people yes. explore this cuisine? And I'll answer yes. for you by watching your show. Yes. Is there any other ways like that they can get a little well, and get your cookbook? That'll yes. help. Yes. Yes. But also, if you go to pbs.org, La Frontera, I have recipes there. I think we have like three to four recipes per episode for the queso, for fajitas, for uh, menudo, for taquitos, for drowned taquitos. And um, just be open to La Frontera, you know, and maybe you may want to visit. I don't know. It's an incredible place. You put recipes online. That's so sweet of you. I am obsessed. I cannot even stand this. This is like the most fun we've ever had. Patty Beach, thank you so much for coming on. We had so much fun. We're absolutely trading numbers. And thank you so much for coming on Getting Curious. Thank you so much for having me. You are such joy. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Vaness. My guest this week was Patty Inich. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend, honey, and show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter for more Getting Curious gorgeous content at Curious with JVN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim. 